The second chapter of Genesis stresses that people are not meant to live in isolation by in an, in, to live in isolation by in a relationship. Out of love for humanity, God creates them male and female to provide companionship for each other and to become with each other one flesh. God designed men and women to find completion in each other. The first reading is from Genesis, the second chapter. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is this at least this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalmody for today is Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children peace upon Israel. In the second reading, we are told that all things exist for Jesus, who is crowned with glory and honor. The second reading is from Hebrews, the second chapter. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received in just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? For you you made him for a little while lower than the angels. 
you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subject, subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house of the disciples, they asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child 
shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms. He blessed them and laid his hands on them. The Gospel of our Lord. So I'm going to ask a question, a couple of questions. Same question. If the answer is affirmative for you, if it's a yes for you, I don't need you to raise your hand like way up here, but just high enough that I can kind of see it. And then if your hand's been raised once, keep it up through the duration of these questions. The first one is, if you are a grandchild with divorced grandparents, just raise your hand up enough high enough to see it and then keep it there. If your grandparents are divorced. Next one. If you are a child with divorced parents, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it up. If one of your close family members has been married and divorced, raise your hand and join the group. If one of your close friends has been married and or divorced, raise your hand. If you have been married and or divorced, add your hand up. So if you've raised your hands once to any of those questions, go ahead and keep your hand up. And now I want you to look around and look at everybody else in the room. Look. We're at 80, 90% occupancy with that one. Go ahead and put your hand down. You rest raising your hand to let me know how divorce or if divorce has affected your life. And let me tell you my answers. Both sets of my grandparents remained married from the time they got married until the time they died. Their vows ended at death. In fact, one of my grandparents' sets, when my grandfather and his family moved into town, him and his brother, my grandmother told her sister, said, the little one, he's mine. The taller one, the taller big brother, you can have him. The little one, he's mine. That's what my grandmother said to her sister when my grandfather moved into town and they were in the eighth grade. Shortly after my grandfather had no chance, they became sweethearts. They stayed sweethearts through the rest of junior high, high school. They got married, survived the war, and they lived the rest of their life together. Cool story. From the eighth grade, they were sweethearts. My parents, however... My parents are both divorced, remarried, divorced, and one side of them has a whole new family. Three out of five of my aunts and uncles, three of my father's side out of four, are married, divorced, remarried. I would guess that close to half of my high school friends, if I would get together with them, would say that their families have been divorced. Many of my friends inside and outside the church have been divorced and remarried. Now, if you've been wounded by divorce, I can't say I know how you feel. I just don't. I cannot know. But I do know me. And I can tell you that it hurts. It was shameful. It was disappointments. There was regrets. There was even anger. And there are scars from divorce for life. And it has caused, this divorce has caused many challenges since the divorce since. Now all that said, I'm glad that you're in church today. Because in this place, we will remember and celebrate 
that God can and will meet us with mercy and forgiveness. That in this place, God offers an invitation that leads to a path that goes towards a hellish place because He wants to return us to the ways and the path of heaven, to God's intentions, which is heaven. In Mark's Gospel book, we continue our course that is going towards Jerusalem. We've been thinking about this now for several weeks. Ever since Jesus said that this is my body is going to be given to you and you eat this flesh and you drink this blood, at that point, all of his disciples left but 12. And from that point, he begins his journey to the cross with his 12 disciples. And he is intentionally teaching and praying and working with them specifically because in a very short time, he's going to go to Jerusalem, the cross, the grave, resurrected in ascension. And his 12, they have to be ready for the mission project, because he's moving them from being disciples, slaves, students, and followers, to now being apostles, the ones who will carry on his torch and his banner that God saves, God loves in the ways of heaven. So with that intention going on, we're in chapter 10. We're getting closer to chapter 11 when he enters Jerusalem. And now in chapter 10, verse 2, Pharisees come, and it's a teaching opportunity for Jesus with his disciples and for us his church. Chapter 10, verse 2. Pharisees come to him and they test him and they ask, Teacher, is it lawful for for a man to divorce his wife? Their emphasis is on divorce. Their emphasis is not on husbands, dedicating their lives to loving God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their family and community as themselves. Their emphasis is not about husbands loving and cherishing their wives, protecting and providing for their wives until death parts them. Their emphasis is not about wives loving and following their husbands, God-focused lead. It's not about children loving and following their parents, God-focused lead. It wasn't about that. The Pharisees were focused on divorce. They're not interested in heavenly relationship. They're not interested in the blessed, heavenly, loving things. They're interested in the topic of sin-inspired divorce and a legal permission to do it control the pharisees already know the answer to their question they are calculating and clever like skilled attorneys they will not ask a question that they do not already know the answer to they clearly know that moses told the people things in the book of deuteronomy chapter 24 of deuteronomy moses said if there's something that the husband finds objectionable He is to personally write on a piece of paper, she is not my wife, I am not her husband, and send her away. That's it. She parts her hair on the wrong side, send her away. She didn't cook the meal that you wanted, send her away. She didn't please you in physical ways, send her away. She smelled bad, send her away. That's it. Divorced. So, if the Pharisees already know the answer, why are they asking Jesus? Why are they testing Jesus? The answer to that question has two parts. 
The first one is to destroy Jesus physically. We know in chapter 1 of Mark that John the Baptist, he is boldly presenting God's way, truth, and life. And he says it the way it is, whether the people like it or not. He's saying things that the, 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 the people in the cities who are always trying to suck up to each other and befriend each other and have positions of power and privilege among each other, he's saying things that they don't have the courage or the, the honesty or the godliness to say. But John will say it. And he has said it. John is arrested because he is publicly proclaiming with great intensity, with clarity, and with volume that King Herod is unlawfully married to his brother's wife. He called Herod out that he would divorce his prince's wife so he could take his brother's wife, Herodias, to be his own. John said, that is adultery. That is against God's law. And Herodias, she had John's head removed from his body. If Jesus' answer about divorce was anything like John's answer, and it was, then Jesus could be arrested, imprisoned, silenced, and killed as well. Silence the one who exposes our sin. Silence the one who puts things public that we want to keep private. Silence him. Destroy him. They test The second reason why they would ask that question and test Jesus is about a political event that was going on. There was a big religious debate, political social divisions off of this debate, much like we would see in our country today. There was a a school called Shammai, and this school of teaching and theology and God's will and way, they had high regard for marriage. And marriage to them represented all that was between God and God's people. That God was the one who created. That God was the one who would bless and provide and love and cherish His people no matter what. And in that relationship, the, the, the church, the people of God, would love God in return. So you have in that, they're teaching, God is the groom and the people is the bride and they're loving and it's blessed, and there would be no divorce. In their school, the only time there could be divorce, according to their teaching, was on the basis of infidelity or adultery. That was it. Because God would be faithful for no matter what. So the people would be faithful, and marriage was a reflection of that relationship between God and God's people. The school of Hallel, the other camp, oh, and that first one, the Shammai school, that was the minority view. A small group were holding that, the minority view. The majority view was from Hillel school. They had a lower regard of marriage, and they're the ones who said that a divorce could be granted, and they went to their sources of Moses, for any reason of dissatisfaction or offense. Any reason of dissatisfaction or offense. They held the majority view. So the Pharisees, in this event with Jesus... They're hoping that he'll politically side with them. They hope that Jesus would declare that, oh yeah, divorce is okay, you could be granted by a man for any objectionable reason. But if not, no worries. He would be dismissed right along with all the minority folks would be dismissed. But regardless of Jesus' answer, these Pharisees, they would profit. Because they would spin Jesus' answer to satisfy their agenda. 
One, they would have him arrested, imprisoned, silenced, and or killed. Or they would have Jesus legitimize their political position on divorce. Either way, they were using it. With hard hearts, the Pharisees are focused on sinful, personal, political agendas. But our emphasis as a church is not on the Pharisees. Our emphasis as a church is emphasis on Jesus. Our focus is on Jesus, and His was not that. Jesus calls them away from a destructive, hurtful agenda, and He's going to redirect them to the Word of God and Heaven's ways. Mark 10, verse 5. Jesus says to them, Because of your hardness of hearts, Moses wrote this commandment. But, it's an erasing word, but. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. With one beautiful line of stroke of words, introduction, Jesus is offering the Father's wisdom and the Father's truth to counteract their foolishness. Jesus takes them to times before Moses. and the the people's sinful events in the wilderness. Jesus is taking them to the beginning, to God's intentions for creation of heaven and earth. To the book of Genesis, Jesus takes them. In the beginning, He's reminding them with that one word, in the beginning, He said, God created heaven, earth, stars, planets, and light. And He said after each one of those creation days, It is good. And then he created an organized atmosphere and water and land and boundaries. And again, God said, it was good. And then God created plants and birds and fish and animals and everything that swims in the waters and creeps in all the creation. And at the end of that, he created man in his image and in his likeness. And at the end of that day, God said, it is good. There was no separation between creation and creation. There was no separation between creation and the Creator. There was no sinful pride yet. There was no sinful greed, gluttony, laziness, lust, or divisions. There was just beauty in this creation. Perfection in love. Unity with God and His creation. Now that the Pharisees are remembering this creation experience in Genesis, now that they're remembering this awesome power and love of God and His intentions, Jesus moves them to the next part of the lesson. The first unfinished business in that creative narrative in Genesis. In fact, the very first not good thing ever stated by God or recorded in the Scriptures is recorded right now or recorded next in this book of Genesis. It's being dusted off and placed before the priests, if you will, or the Pharisees. In Genesis 2, verse 18, we read, God says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Before the fall, before sin enters the world, God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, He identifies a need. He saw loneliness in His creation. Loneliness is not good, and so God acted. Verse 21, 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed it this place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Therefore, man leaves his father and his mother, and he clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Jesus, through the Word of God spoken in the book of Genesis, is attempting to return hard-hearted Pharisees to this awesome power, provision, and love of God intended in creation. Jesus is attempting to return their minds and their hearts to understand the design and the intention of God. Jesus reminds them that God gifted man with a woman, not from the dirt but from his own body. Adam was created from the dirt, but the woman was created from Adam, his own body. And because of that precious gift, it's a beautiful word, gift, this man sings the very first song of praise and thanksgiving recorded in the Scriptures. As Adam is looking at this gift, this woman that is his and she is his in this interaction, as he sees this, he sings, this is at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sings, She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. It is a song of gratitude and praise and cherishing and love and delight in woman. That is God's intention. There is union in this. And in that union between this woman made for this man, in this union... It's a sacred space where God would then for the generations from that day forward, He would entrust into this woman the next generations into the safety of a mother's womb. And only a mother can love like a mother and nurture so beautifully. Into that womb is placed God's beloved children. And then in that womb, surrounded and protected by the man who will provide and protect and love and cherish his family, is placed God's children. And this family is being established in generation, in Genesis. And let nothing separate that. To that beautiful and blessed place, Jesus tries to return the Pharisees. To that place, an image is being shared. An image of a strong man holding the beautiful soft hand of his beloved wife. Joy and delight and love and cherishing between them. Walking with God in his garden every day for all eternity. That was God's design. That's God's intention. That's heaven. Now, God's lessons to the disciples, Jesus' lessons to the disciples on this day, is actually a lesson to us, his church. The lesson is this invest your mind and your heart and your soul into loving God. Husbands and wives, invest your minds and your hearts and your souls into loving and cherishing each other. Love and cherish your family. Love and cherish your communities. Love and cherish the way God loves and cherishes us. 
And if you're doing that, that ugly word that starts with D will never, ever surface. They'll just be heaven and not shades of hell. We're to do that the first, the middle of the last of our lives. God help us be that church. Amen. Use the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray for the growth of God's kingdom of grace, that we may live our identities as sons and daughters of you. We pray for the Christian church, both here and assembled in congregations around the world, that we be one with each other and one with you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask your blessing on all husbands and wives, moms and dads, daughters and sons, and every member of every Christian family. Help us to live out our unique vocations of joy and peace. Preserve the institution of marriage that God would defend husbands and wives from every assault of the enemy. Strengthen them in their faithful and loving service to one another. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to make Christ-like stewardship a way of life at Emmanuel Lutheran. We give you thanks and praise as the source of all we have and all that we are. Help us to place you first in our lives and to become less preoccupied with material things. Help us make your priorities our priorities and to put our faith into action. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we continue Emmanuel's stewardship campaign, give us the willingness to give back the talents, treasures, and time with which we have been blessed. Help us to hear your call to be good stewards, caretakers, and managers of all your gifts. Make us share them for your purpose and according to your will. May we serve you and pray with a joyful spirit of mind and heart. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we thank you for the music ministry at Emmanuel Lutheran. We ask for your blessing on all vocalists and instrumentalists as they give of their time and talents to praise you with song. As we seek a director of music ministry, we ask that the Holy Spirit work in the heart of the person you have chosen, that they may hear and feel your calling. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of grace and compassion, we know that you hear our prayers. We give you thanks and praise for all answered prayers. Father of all compassion, bless those who are experiencing distress and difficult times. Today we remember Kurt and his family, Bob, Thurman, Jeff, Marceline, Audrey, Jim, Allison, Dallas, Jesse, Arturo, Scott and Graydon, Donna, Jackson, Matt, Lissa, Dana, Janelle, the Martin family, Olivia and Jennifer, Trey, Martha, Hillary, and those we name in our hearts. If it brings you honor and glory, let all those who are suffering experience your comfort, peace, and healing that only comes from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Go, my children, with my blessing, never alone. Walking, sleeping, I am with you. You are my own. In my love's baptismal river, I have made you mine forever. Go, my children, with my blessing, you are my own. Go, my children, fed and nourished, closer to me. Grow in love and love by serving, joyful and free. children fed and nourished joyful and free i the lord will bless and keep you and give you peace i the lord will smile upon you and give you peace i the children, I will keep you and 